thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And today we have a very fascinating, very, very interesting guest. Cindy and I were just talking just before the show about how both my mum has this and her dad has this. And we have a guest on the show today that's talking about the injuries caused by mesh implant surgery. So one of the things that we've Googled here or that we've got information on is the transvaginal mesh um, surgery that happens for mums um, and then also for hernias, for mums and dads. And uh, we're so fascinated by this because it's actually being pulled off the market here in Australia and it's, it's been ceased being used as a product. So we're really, really excited to talk to the beautiful Justine Watson, who is the president and founder of an amazing organization called Mesh uh, Mesh Injury Australia. So we are so excited to talk to you, or Mesh Injured Australia Incorporated. Sorry about that, Justine. Thanks. (laughs) Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank what you. What an amazing, what an amazing project you've taken on. This is huge. Yes, yes. I don't think I realised quite how huge when I took it on, but I'm really grateful to be here. And thank you for inviting me on, ladies. That's this is lovely. It's nice to get the airtime. So, so one thing I just wanted to pick up on what you just said, sweetie, is is you said it's been banned. Sadly, that isn't true. Well, I was reading about that just, you know, I was researching all about you and I was reading about it on a, on a website here and it says that, because um, that's the part that I found most fascinating, I thought, oh, this must be really bad. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, and it said that it's, it's, been, it's been taken, it's been taken um, off by the Therapeutic Goods Administration. Well, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, they regulate our devices and our pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. And how our medical devices get um, administered or or said that they're okay for usage often is by the 510K rule in the States, by the FDA. And sadly, what we have discovered since there have been a vast number of people adversely affected by this medical device is that it wasn't appropriately tested or regulated. (gasps) No. And so what we've found since then is that there's actually a very slack process of how that happens and also that the TGA is funded by its registrations, not by the taxpayers' dollars, as you would imagine, because, you know, we would want to pay our taxpayer dollars to our health and quality and safety. So what they actually did do is they followed the UK and they banned certain pelvic organ prolapse meshes but they didn't ban any of the stress urinary incontinence meshes. And yet what we know because of the placement in the body, the material that they're using and the overuse is that this has now, you know, become a monumental disaster. We've had a Senate inquiry. The Senate inquiry found um, that there were way too many people who have had these problems causing Um, caused by the mesh, had adverse events, and that the adverse events have been so life-threatening, debilitating and life-altering that that really this never should have happened. That's just insane. So when it says, because I'm just looking here, it says transvaginal mesh is a specific surgical mesh that's been used to manage stress injury, urinary incontinence, problems for women, and it has been withdrawn in Australia for the treatment of most pelvic organ prolapse. Most. Most. Uh-huh. There's your loophole, honey. Oh, for goodness sake. Mm. I think, can I ask you, sorry, Karen, do you mind if I ask this question? Sorry um, yeah, no, sorry. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sorry, I'm kidding. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just so, I'm just so blown away by this. I honestly, everything that I've read about this, and there's just so much information that I'm seeing now, especially on Justine's website, I'm floored by this. 
Yeah, exactly. And I just, I was wondering if you could just back up a little bit, Justine, and, yes. and just explain to us how you came into being in this realm and then what sort of injuries are we talking, not, not the injuries caused by the mesh, but what sort of problems are occurring that people have to have these or have had these insertions? Could you just give us a little bit of your background up to that and then why? Good sure. question, Kimmy, good question. And keep me on point because I could go for hours. So 50% of women experience pelvic organ prolapse or stress urinary incontinence post-childbirth. So that's one in two women. MESH was designed for hernia repair all these years ago, 20-plus years ago. The urogynecologist took a look at the colorectal surgeons and said, that looks like good stuff, can we use some of that? Eventually, the big um, drug companies got onto this and started making these these kit packages to um, either lift the urethra, so they pop the mesh under the urethra, lift it up to give support to the bladder, or for the pelvic organ prolapse to hold that up so that the woman doesn't get this awful feeling or what they were presenting with these feelings of, of their insides falling outside. So it was a fantastically quick and easy 20-minute you know, you're in, you're out, not much recovery time. There you go, ladies, sorted. So what should have happened was that you would go for dietary management, nutrition, you know, lifestyle changes, pelvic organ, uh, pelvic physio, and, and jump through other hoops and surgery should have been last resort. What we've seen over the last two decades is that it's been a creep to overuse and it's been used in women as young as their 20s. And what's happened is that there are, is quite a large percentage. 3% is the failure rate that is deemed um, acceptable, shall we say, in, in surgery or in anything really. We're seeing numbers at least three, four, five, six times at the moment that not that acceptable rate. I mean, I have 1,200 women on a group that I manage and 400 on a hernia group that is managed as well, that's 1,600 people for sure who have suffered in this country. What we're finding is that the material that it is made from is polypropylene. And a lovely surgeon explained this to me the other day. He said, Justine, on your shampoo bottle, when you get to the end of the shampoo, is the bottle still attached? Is the cap still attached to the bottle? And I said, Mm, good question. Not usually. It's broken off halfway. He said that's what the mesh will do inside the pelvis or inside the body. He said it was not designed to do this. And, of course, they put this into the pelvis, which is what we know is the pelvis is a incredibly mobile part of our body and we need it to be able to be mobile. And when you put a foreign object into the body, it is going to create inflammation it is going to be covered in scar tissue in order to keep it in there. So what it does is it feels like something solid in the pelvis. And so it means that in, in some good cases, that's all it feels like. In some cases, it seizes the whole pelvis up, attaches itself to nerves, to other vital parts of the pelvis and is causing incredible, constant and persistent chronic pain in a lot of women and men with hernias. Frightening, isn't it? Oh, it's beyond uh, frightening. Yeah, I, uh, I'm just in shock. Mm. Pro, pro, polypropylene. I, I just am stunned that they would put that into a human body. Absolutely. Justine, were you personally affected by <clears throat> this? Yes. Is that why yes. you're involved? Could you tell us a little bit about your story? Absolutely. So in, in 2010, I had um, very large babies and was suffering stress urinary incontinence. So I, I would leak when I sneezed, coughed, laughed too much. And it really wasn't bothering me that much. But my group of girlfriends got together and said, listen, sister, there's an operation for this. This is just crazy that you're experiencing this. And so with a little bit of peer pressure, I went off to see a urogynecologist and said, you know, what could you do for me? And um, yeah, within six weeks, I was on the operating table. What he said to me was, 20 minutes, you can stay in overnight because I know you've got a special needs child, so you don't want to be picking him up, but you'll be good to go. You'll be good as new. This will be life-changing for you. 
He didn't tell me about the effects of polypropylene. He didn't tell me that this device was implantable and not ever to be removed. He didn't disclose his level of training and how many of these devices he'd done. He didn't give me the option to choose which device of the many products on the market. So it wasn't really a good process that was following what we now know to be informed, or what I now know to be informed consent. So I had this um, surgery and I came out of the surgery and I remember being really quite unwell and in quite a lot of pain. And, you know, the surgical staff rallied around and said, oh, of course, you've just had surgery. You know, of course, it's not going to feel comfortable, la, la, la. So I went back to my life and my incontinence returned by about month three. But it hadn't, it had changed. It was urge incontinence rather than just leakage. And in my operation notes, um, in fact, in my surgical notes that I've looked at since then, the surgeon was at a loss to understand why that was. I think those were his words. Anyway, I carried on with life and I started to get really tired and really worn down very easily. And I, I kind of put that down to being a psychotherapist, having special needs child, running my own business, house, kids, life. Anyway, about a year later, I decided I couldn't carry on anymore. And I took a hiatus to Bali. And once I'd gotten to Bali, there was no way I was coming home. What then gradually started to happen was I was getting recurrent UTIs, urinary tract infections. I was being hospitalised regularly for infections all the way through my body. I finally found a, a naturopath who started using some really good things with me that, that started to get the infections under control, so intravenous vitamin C and supplements. But by 2015, by 2013, I'd been hospitalised half a dozen times. By 2015, I had chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, um, thyroid disease, and too many inexplicable illnesses. And I kept going back to Western medicine and saying, I'm not right. This is ridiculous. I was a fit and healthy woman. Now I'm, I feel like I'm dying of something that I don't know what I'm dying of. Anyway, I was told multiple times, look, we're sorry, we can't find out what's wrong with you. And eventually I was referred to a psychiatrist. So the message was, this is all in your head. One day I stumbled upon the idea that I would go back to the original surgeon. My life was completely out of control by this stage. I'd lost just about everything, my family, my income. I couldn't work. I was a complete mess. My, my girlfriends by 2017 called me the walking dead. I went back to the original implanting surgeon and said to him, my incontinence is worse than ever and it has changed and my life is so out of control, I'm feeling like maybe this is one thing we can control. And, of course, he looked at me as soon as I walked into his office and I, I just knew he braced himself and I think through his head must have been, oh, my God, it's one of those women. Anyway, he wouldn't see me. He bumped me to his colleague. And his colleague said, oh, look, come into emergency tomorrow and we'll do a urodynamic study, which is where you wee in cups and they measure your urine and so on. And, um, and we'll have a look and see what we can do. Anyway, I'm all gowned up and, and I got led onto a bed, which I knew wasn't a urodynamic study. And suddenly out, he pulls a probe out and starts talking about how he's going to have a look in my urethra. So this was completely different and I was starting to go, okay, I'm not quite sure what's going on here, but I'll go with this. So he put the probe up to my urethra and as he was looking at the screen, his face just dropped. Now I had a, a stepfather who was a surgeon, so they don't really scare me. And I remember leaping off the bed, looking at him and going poker face, pulling the screen and it was a wash with blue and white. And that's the colour of the mesh. And I remember just not being able in that moment to compute what was actually going on. Anyway, then he put me back into a waiting room and I sat there for 20 minutes and I'm thinking, what on earth just happened here? He came back in and explained that the mesh was skewering my urethra in several places and that the only way that he could help me was to offer me multiple surgeries if he could remove it with a high likelihood of a permanent catheter for the rest of my life. I was only 46. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. that's not good, as I'm just in shock. Yeah. What happened, what happened then? Well, as you just said, I was just in shock. That was what I was in. 
So he did, I remember him mumbling, because I'm pretty good at writing things down, I remember him mumbling something about a class action. And I thought, I wonder why that is, Did it, you know. So I went home and I went back to Bali and I started Googling and researching. And I found um, a Facebook group, the Australian Mesh Injured Support Group, and started to talk to other women. And I was really interested in the paramedics, the lawyers, the, the nurses, to see what they had to say about all of this. And I have to say that actually I'll just back the truck up a little bit. Before I found this group, I went back to Bali and with the odds that the surgeon gave me, I was a complete wreck. It was like all of a sudden I put the two and two together, but that information was absolutely too much for my brain, for my traumatised brain. And I tried to kill myself. I decided I didn't want to be a sick person any longer and the odds that he gave me weren't exactly, you know, stellar. And I, yeah, took a bunch of pills and a load of alcohol and I wanted out. I no longer wanted to be that sick person. I'd been chronically ill for four or five years and I made the choice not to be. However, by one of my beautiful friends, I was foiled. And when I came good, I started then researching and I found this group and I, I found um, a doctor in America. Now, this doctor in America has done over 2,000 full removals of this device. And what became very clear to me very quickly was that all of the smart women in this group were not promoting the Australian surgeons. There was really only one surgeon that they were promoting. And several of them had been, I think about 40 by the time I got onto the group, had been over there and had had full removals and were looking like they were, you know, in some form of recovery. So that was my journey. I, I went, right, if I'm going to live, that's where I'm going. So I had to do an absolute smash and grab because by then I wasn't working. By then I, you know, I've spent most of my savings and I was, I think I was on his table within about nine weeks of working out what had gone wrong. And um, that was divinely led because I just don't know how I had the energy to get up and do it. I mean, I say to people, you know, I must have gone on adrenaline. Um, and I went there on my own. And when I got there and he took one look at me and took my history and, and so on, he, he looked at me and he said, how on earth did you get here? And, you know, I was like, I don't know, <laughs> but I'm here, so let's do it. So it took him eight and a half hours, the world-leading expert, eight and a half hours to remove this device from my pelvis. It had skewered my urethra in several places, embedded itself in my bladder and my internal organs. The pain. You must have been oh. in so much pain. Yep. You know what, though? The mental pain was almost worse than the physical pain of being denied for so many years that there really was something wrong with me. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine. And you, you just, you, fortunately, though, you didn't give up. You just kept, you okay. kept going until you kept found going. an answer for it. Yeah. So, so coming back, I was very blessed to have a few angels in my life who've taken care of me. Over the, and this was 2017. This was October that I had the full removal. And um, what was interesting is I started to get worse. My health started to go downhill rather than better. Now, in my innocence, I thought, well, once this is out of me, I'll be fine. Mm, big mistake. So what I have been told since, and there is no data for this, which is another of my bugbears and why I set up the charity, um, I think I started to get worse because I think the toxins were released when he removed it. So since then, I was diagnosed with diabetes, thyroid disease, and a whole myriad of other problems. And I had to try and seek help for those things, which the medical profession will treat with drugs, and I didn't want to be treated with any more drugs. So I proceeded upon a path of fasting and supplementation, um, meditation, and a lot of internal work. I went to Quest for Life to Petraea in Bundanoon. Um, I've been on other transformational learnings and healings. I meditated every day. You know, I changed my diet. I did all the things that I needed to do. And over the space of about 12 months, I finally got my health back, which is very exciting. Jesus. 
Cindy, can I ask you here, if you, like with your knowledge around this and, and how the body attacks itself, as in these, the, the, the conditions Justine's talking about are autoimmune conditions, mm. can you just explain to us what's happening here? I'm, I'm just a little bit shocked about it all. So what we know about autoimmune disease is that it um, basically can be, you know, one of two things that we know of. One is it could be Epstein-Barr, um, a virus. That's one um, thought process. The other one is, is it starts to attack um, something in the body. So when it comes to um, foods, often if the gastrointestinal tract is open and proteins go into the blood, the body sees these proteins as the enemy and it will start an immune attack on it. And it might only be just local. But if that immune attack, I mean, or if that protein keeps entering the body, the body keeps attacking, 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 and then it thinks it's not just local, it is systemic. And so then it starts a systemic um, attack on the system. So my, my only, I'm only, you know, what I know of autoimmunity is that um, the polypropylene um, was a foreign body. And, in the, and the body didn't like it and the body kept trying to attack it and get rid of it. But it's very hard for anything to get rid of plastic. Yeah. And so it would have been ended up a systemic issue. And so then the body would start to uh, look systemically for this plastic. And this plastic could have moved. You don't know. And it may have gone to the thyroid. And so it starts attacking the thyroid. It may have gone to, um, you're not type 1 diabetic, are you, Justin? It's type 2? No, it was type 2. Type 2. So it, it's it doesn't matter where it was in the body, the body would start to go, I have to save um, the, you know, the body from this foreign particle. And, and, and that's what we know. We know it with food, but I didn't know it with, well, I should know it with polypropylene, whether you digest it or it's in the, in the system, whatever you put into the system. And um, that's, that's my only explanation there, Kim, um, that I can come with because I've not heard of this. This is, you know, I've heard wind of it, but I had no idea the breadth um, and depth and expanse of this horrific problem. Justin, I'm sitting here and I'm furious. I, I can't imagine how you are. Thank you. I'm, I'm furious because this is happening too often. It's not just the mesh. You know, we, we had someone on with breast implants. There was a problem with that. Um, We've, you know, we've had people on with children that are injured by medications and vaccines. Mm. We, we hear this all the time and yet they're not, they, to me, this should, this should be on the front page of the newspaper. You're absolutely right. And it will be in the good weekend sometime next month. Right. <laughs> My question around this though is how come nobody is held liable? for the cost, the pain and the suffering that you've had to endure and exactly. all the Well, because it's Big it. Pharma, sweetheart. We're talking well, about Big Pharma. So if, if Johnson & Johnson spend, you know, sell $20 billion worth of products in this country, the GST is $2 billion. That goes to the government. Um, say that again. We, oh I just think that gosh. needs to be repeated. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll say it again. $20 billion, if Johnson & Johnson or Boston Scientific or one of these manufacturers, Hyratex, they sell their products in this country for, say, $20 billion. The GST on $20 billion, 10%, is $2 billion. That is revenue that our government receives. And, and Johnson & Johnson at the moment have asbestos in their telc and or have had asbestos in their telc and... Now, you know, they're having lawsuits against them. A caring company. A caring company. Yeah. Safe for babies. Well, what, what we know as of March last year when we had the Senate inquiry is there has been so far $8 billion paid out in lawsuits about mesh. In Australia? No, globally. Globally, $8 billion. Yeah, that was a, a, about this time last year. I'm sure it's at least doubled in that time. If you've ever watched, the, there's a documentary called The Bleeding Edge, which would be very interesting for all of your you know, viewers. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's about medical devices and it's about how they, are, how they come to be, like I said at the beginning, the FDA, the, the 510K rule. And, and when you watch that, you suddenly start to feel quite unwell because as we get older, pacemakers save people's lives, you know, but cobalt hip replacements, 
you know, they sent one, um, one orthopaedic surgeon completely bonkers. He had a psychotic episode because of the poison that he was experiencing. So I think our, the regulation system needs to change dramatically in this country to ensure that nothing like this ever happens again. And as I said, the TGA is funded by its registrations, not by the government not by the taxpayers' dollars. The Australian Commission for Quality, Health and Safe Care, they are also 50% federally and 50% state-funded. They are supposed to be the oversighting body. But in my um, discussions with them, that, that the party line for me is, well, we're not the oversighting body. And, and what we had with the Senate inquiry is they, they literally said this should not have happened and they made 13 recommendations around how we should do things differently and what should be done to repair, you know, the damage caused by women. But, of course, what the government did in their wisdom is, is they've given the people who allowed this to happen the power to repair it. And, and there's just too many conflicts of interests. For instance, the urogynecologists, they were making $10,000, um, you know, a time for our surgeries. And, and in talks with one of the head leading female urogynecologists, she actually asked me, well, what am I going to teach my new up and coming surgeons? And my response in my head was surgical skills, because you can do native tissue repair for this surgery. You do not have to use mesh. It's just that this was very quick, very easy with grand incentives, grand incentives from the drug companies. So there's going to be a lot of trouble if these come off the market and they're going to come back repackaged. And the urogynes and the gynes are telling women today, there will be women implanted with this mesh today in this country, several of them. And they will have been told, oh, no, this is the new mesh. This isn't the dangerous one like those other hysterical women are talking about. What about the... Oh, the injuries that people are incurring. So let's talk about, I've met a couple of, of sadly mesh injured women and the pain is unbearable, let alone the fatigue, let alone the fact that their lives are basically stolen from them. How You made a comment before that um, even if they could have an operation, that it's, it's implantable and not ever to be removed. What does that mean? Do, can we not reverse this? Can they not undo what they've done? Well, no, you see, my, my implant in particular was incorrectly placed. Otherwise, it would not have migrated through my pelvis and skewered my urethra in several places. That is not an uncommon story. Um, some women have got theirs still in place, but what we found out and the reason that they withdrew some of the POP, the pelvic organ prolapse ones, is because it used to come through the obturator space. So most of the women who've had them placed, um, the TOTs, the T or sorry, the TBTOs, um, they were placed in, in areas of the pelvis where they've damaged the nerves and, and all of the tissues surrounding that. And sometimes it's actually too dangerous to remove it because you could cause permanent injury and death. So there are a lot of women out there who will not be able to have this removed. We do not have the surgical skills in this country. Any woman undergoing mesh removal surgery at the moment in this country, I salute them because they are essentially guinea pigs so that the surgeons can learn how to remove this. And, and what they've said is only urogynecologists can remove this, but they're the people who place this. And so many women aren't willing to go back to their original surgeons as innocently as I did because they're the person who permanently maimed them. So the whole system is set up to send us completely crazy. And just yeah. and this, this is affecting, you know, relationships, partnerships, um, intimacy. This is, this, is, this is barbaric on so many levels and affecting so many people within family units. Can you tell me what's... What's the prognosis here? Like, what's, is there hope? Oh, I would love to say there is. And I think the hope is in the minds and the emotional fields of women. I think if they start to repair emotionally, then their bodies have half a chance. 
but how can you repair emotionally if there have been no, there's not really been a sorry. There was a rather empty apology that came on the back of, of some legislation from the UK from Greg Hunt last year. We're the only people who've had a sorry, but with no financial commitment associated with it. So there's no compensation, although they're in China doing a class action. <clears throat> and what we know is, is, you know, Australian law isn't going to give us the $43 million that the women in America are getting. Um, there aren't clinics yet. I've been working with the RPA hospital in, in New South Wales for since November 17 um, to try and create a reasonable clinic that could be there that's Medicare funded for women, but it's still in its designer stages. Um, there, you know, <laughs> I wish I had more good things to say. I mean, the things that really upset me are that children are becoming carers. Husbands are leaving wives because the urogynecologists are saying the mesh isn't your problem. So the husband's going home and going, well, if the mesh isn't your problem, why can't we have sex? Why are you in pain all the time? I'm, I'm jack of this. I'm done. And he leaves. Um, there's a whole collusion which sends us down a road of domestic violence. I could go on for hours. But, you know, there isn't really, there is no solution. And every solution is individual, depending upon the placement of the mesh, depending on the type of device that a woman has, depending on their resources, their wellness. Can they get themselves to America? Can they research enough and find, um, you know, find a surgeon who may be able to offer them a good chance? A lot of people are on a lot of medication and this is affecting the community enormously. These women are in a lot of pain and they're on some really heavy opiates and this is actually not really doing their brains any good. And because there's not this, you know, one size fits all, we have no national registry. We have no data. We have no um, research being done on this problem yet. So there aren't, you know, for a scientific person coming at this problem going, okay, well, there must be a surgeon who does it. There must be statistics to tell me my odds because there are with cancer. You know, what I would like to see happen is the government to give us an NDIS of our own so that we can access services that we desperately need. I would like to see, you know, a better apology with a financial commitment. I would like to see retraining of GPs to pick up this problem because the people like me out there, intelligent women who are sick and absolutely don't know why, and in the end they put up and shut up because they've been denied, dismissed, etc. <sighs> Where do I start? <laughs> I am, um, yeah. I, I, like, I just, I can just hear this way too much. Mm. Um, you know, I was watching, um, somebody sent it to me on my phone, um, um, Australian story about thalidomide yes. and the injustice of that. And that was the beginning, really, 1960s, mm. early 1960s. And they mm. still have not had an apology and still have no, no. financial support. That's right. And, and Darren Hinch has, went behind, you know, got behind that and, and he said, you know, he said exactly the same thing about, about MESH. This is just as much of a national disaster but it's going to be so much bigger. I reckon there's so much in medicine that is a, na a national disaster and we are only just seeing the tip of it. And mm. um, I see it all the time because I've been in this field for 40 years um, and I'm seeing it all the time. Um, uh, and when you have a look at the the chronic issues that we now have, we didn't have them in the 60s. But And, and I, I hate the audacity and the pompousness and um, the, the belief that they are God when they do these things. And I know there's some good, very good people out there and they save lives and they're amazing. Mm. But these types of things, you should be informed. Everybody who has a medical procedure, unless they're unconscious and you're trying to save their lives, that's different. Mm. But everybody should be informed as to, mm. well, the, these are the dangers. I, I, have to, like, I have to tell you about my sister. She um, had esophageal cancer and they said, well, the only way you're going to survive is have chemo and have an esophagitis. Uh, uh, sorry, yeah. Have your esophagus out. Mm. Um, so an esophagectomy, that's right. That's what it was. And so this is what she was told would be the only hope of survival. And so we did the research. Like we both went to university. We both knew how to, to research. Mm. And I said, 
you could die on the table or you could live two years in, in a horrible state. It's, it's your choice. And she said, I'll, I'll take my chances. I'll do what I can. And she lived 12 months. She worked, did everything she could. She didn't have chemo, did nothing. Um, and she died when the tumour got too big. But basically she lived a life. She, had, she didn't lose her esophagus. She didn't get any other issues. She didn't lose her hair. She worked till the Friday before she died. She went skiing. You know, she was able to do these things. And I've even been reading on chemo. I, I don't know if there's a, a little corner out there anywhere that um, it's okay now. And, and we're still being fooled by them. And we're still being fooled by a government who says it's safe or a TGA or an Australian Pesticide and Veterinary Medicines Authority who says glyphosate straight away. I just, I get, mm, sorry. It's incensed. Um, I totally agree with you. I mean, our whole Australian health system needs a revamp. We need a torch in there. We need people to be speaking out. <laughs> we need the whole thing changed. Well, it's like there's these yep. little pockets of things, you know. I mean, in some ways I have sympathy for the urogynecologists. You know, ultimately they're responsible for this because they use these devices. And, and in meetings, you know, I, I come head to head with, you know, heads of departments and stuff and, and I look at them and I can see the denial on their faces. There is no way that they are willing to link this. There is no way they are willing to accept and acknowledge that there is a tsunami ahead of them. There is, you know, when you've spent your life's work implanting something that you believed was life-changing and life-altering, to connect those dots and realise that you have essentially maimed, brutalised, traumatised and in some cases been complicit in the death of women it's very difficult to come to the party and go, wow, I'm sorry. I think you could insert any word into there, no disrespect, just to the mesh injured. You could say that about some medications. You could say that about some vaccines. You could say that about um, some prescriptive medicines, couldn't you? And, and things yeah. like even, you know, people that are trained to believe, Cindy, that glyphosate is completely okay. Like you could put anything in there. The, the thing that comes back to me, I want to ask Karen her thoughts on this, because to me, it's all coming back to, to money and it's all coming back to ego and who's got the best ideas here or who's doing this. Can you give me some light on this as to how they could be so stuck up their own butts to think that there's not limits? <laughs> <laughs> well, Kimmy, there is a saying that, that, that some people have used and that some people are so caught up their own bums, they're almost inside out. Mm. Um, I just, honestly, I, I, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, okay, so which part of this is that, um, very, very, very old school view of, um, you know, how men were the ones who, uh, and I mean, no disrespect. I just think they just did the best that they could, but the whole process of childbirth, of lying down to give birth, mm. that was determined by men, you know, like so much of. So much of what women are impacted with comes from an ignorance. Um, and I think nowadays we are, you know, we've come so far, but I think that a lot of this repair, need, you know, we need to be taking responsibility for it. And the, fact, the fact that it's being dismissed or that it's not being um, addressed in in every way, shape, or form, so it's not just the mesh injured. It's it's in every way through our um, our health scheme. I just honestly, I I think it's I'll probably be shot for this, but I think it is so antiquated. It is so archaic, and unfortunately, it's potentially the people that are at the head of it are dinosaurs that so need to be replaced, so that we can get fresh eyes looking. Um, at exactly what's going on in every area and clean that shizbang up. So yeah, that I agree. Because what would they rather? What would they rather? Would they rather get the $2 billion in tax GST or would they rather have the class actions that are going to cause them to have to repay all of that money and then some and lose complete faith with the community that votes for them? Well, that's already happened. <clears throat> Honestly, I think you're so right, Justine. I mean, there are so many of us, especially, you know, 
those that have been affected. There are so many of us that look at so many aspects of the, of the health, um, you know, offerings that find it quite laughable, mm. that it's a joke. That you, 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 you're taking your life into your own hands. I don't mean any disrespect for when, you know, where it's appropriate and where it's needed. I really, you know, I, I take my hat off to the, our, our nurses and our doctors and I think they do the best that they can. But when it comes to our big farmers, I think it's disgusting and it's abhorrent that they have such disregard for the actual reason that they started in the first place was for the health and well-being of humanity. I think that they've totally lost sight of that and they need an absolute bloody overhaul. They need to be accountable and responsible. And yes, Kimmy, it's ego, it's money, it's power. And if you look at, if you look at religion, it's ego, money, power. You look at politics, ego, money, power. You look at, the pharmaceutical industry and the health industry, it's ego, money, power. Any, anywhere where the masses are controlled, it's ego, money, power. Correct. And this is an attack on the divine feminine when you talk about the transvaginal mesh. You know, well, it, it's, it's... From a spiritual act. point of view, absolutely. It's I, abhorrent. I, I, I stand wholeheartedly with your sister there. I totally do. And, you know, one thing that my GP said to me after, of course, he'd referred me to the psychiatrist when we'd worked out what was wrong with me, he said, you know, my um, professional indemnity insurance, they sent out a memo last year. We're now allowed to say that we're sorry and it has no financial impact. Oh, awesome. That's great. Yeah. Well, if, okay, oh, I hear you. But if that's a microcosm, why isn't the rest of, of, of the system following suit in that, you know, sorry is something that we can feel. I'm really sorry that this happened to you. I think that's really important. These women need more than a national apology. They need one that's heartfelt where he's not fumbling his words. Yeah. To see that regulatory devices is increased. They need to see you know, the health system reform on informed consent, patient risk-benefit analysis. We need to go back to the simplicity of surgery is the last option. Mm. Because the creep into overuse of this, and, 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 you know, big pharma, they may make however many billions of dollars in profit. What it tells you on the Bleeding Edge documentary mm. is that they only ever pay out 1% of their net profit every year in legal cases. Now, while that's the case, wow. why are they going to change anything? Nothing's going to change. Yeah. So we need some strong leadership in this country. We need the next government to stand up and say, you know what, health reform is important. This is what the Australian people want. This disaster is not going to go away. There will be a tsunami. Once people have, have jumped on, you know, have, have seen you know, heard this interview, seen other media things. There was something on the project, you know, Good Weekend's coming out. Hopefully we will gain momentum and we will help reach out to the non-English speaking women, you know, stuck in their apartment with their three children who are suffering. We'll reach out to the rural women. We'll reach out to the older women who aren't so technologically savvy and people will start joining the dots and then they'll start coming forward to Messenger Australia and saying, what do we do now? And all I can do in my charity with my insurance and my limited resources is to explain to them, you need to get your operation notes. You need to make your adverse event form to the TGA. That sends the message to the government. And here you go. Here's some social media groups where you can start talking to other women and men who have been impacted by mesh in their, in their life. And, and there are so many things the same. The pain, the systemic illnesses, loss of relationship, loss of life, loss of career, loss of job, loss of house, you know, and lots of us have lost our families because we were just the crazy person who was sick with no reason for being sick. Justine, can I please ask a question for the person listening to this that may be sitting here in absolute shock realising that they have a number of symptoms or a conversation, maybe they've never even heard of this, but they are a, a victim of mesh injury could you tell us what are the what are the symptoms what are some of the signs what would be your advice as to what they should do like where to from here 
Okay, so you've got acute and chronic pain in your pelvis, abdomen, groin or legs. This can cover pelvic mesh and this can cover hernia mesh or surgical mesh used for holding organs back in after car accidents, etc. Pain or problems urinating, voiding or having sex. Unexplained systemic illnesses or autoimmune problems. For instance, there was no thyroid disease or diabetes in my family history. Allergic sensitivities developed since surgery. I mean, I was allergic to nearly everything. Foods, you know, um, washing powders, certain um, ginger. I had an anaphylactic reaction to ginger in a Melbourne restaurant one day. You know, completely crazy stuff. Feeling sluggish or low mood for no apparent reason. Digestive problems, recurrent infections, UTIs for the pelvic mesh women. A heavy feeling, bulging red or inflamed skin around the implant site, symptoms that the surgery was supposed to fix that have recurred, and and at absolute least, simply just not feeling yourself. And that covers the stress urinary incontinence, prolapse, hernia, and other meshes. Those, that's sort of the information that we've got out there saying, if you have any of these things and you had surgery for any of these things, maybe you can be mesh-injured too. And Cindy, what would be your advice then based on those symptoms, based on what Justine said and based on the reactions that a number of these mesh-injured people are having? I know food's not the answer. I totally get that. But what could they be doing to support their bodies in the best possible way? Because I would imagine when you're going through this, the last thing you feel like doing is taking care of yourself because you'd feel like the world was against you. I can see how you'd, mm. you'd go into a world of feeling like the world sucks and why me? So self-care would be absolutely imperative. imperative. Yeah. So can you tell us, Cindy, what your advice would be around what people... Um, could be doing from a nutritional point of view for this? Well, when I was listening to Justine talking about, you know, she had lots of allergies and anaphylaxis, it, it just tells me that the gut is compromised. So did that polypropylene uh, affect the gut as well and the microbiome? And, you know, Definitely. yeah, it's, it sounds like it was just so systemic and I don't know if it got into the bowel or how it got into the bowel or what was happening, but it, it just, um, you know, to ask me that question, Kim, like it sounds like Justine did it right, got the damn thing out and then started to get well. As long as it's in there, how can you get well when it's just, it's, it's like um, I'm trying to think of an analogy. Maybe, Justine, you've thought of a million analogies to that, to keep that stuff in there. You're trying and trying and trying, but all you're doing is band-aiding until you actually figure out exactly what the problem is, which is the mesh. Get it out, and 12 months later, you know, you may not be what you were, but um, mm. at least you're far better than what you were before you got it out. And, you know, I've been in America, and I've been in the medical system in America, and it's scary how expensive it is. So I want to know from a financial point of view, how the hell did you do that? How did you get on that operating table? It's expensive enough getting over there, but let alone being in that system without insurance, it's a scary thing. Yeah, well, it was without insurance. I could only get travel insurance, so I went at my own risk. Um, very luckily, the surgeon in question, he actually caps the payment for overseas people at $10,000, which is very generous of him. Hmm. Um, he also has a bit of a you know, sideline with the hospital and they're all very generous. But all in total, to go over there for the three weeks that I did, um, I had to fly business class because it was too much agony not to, cost me about 45000 Australian dollars. But it was worth it? Every cent. And yeah. yeah. You'd pay that, wouldn't you? Because now you have the capacity to work. So what yeah. happened to me is I was in a skiing accident and I had to have six stitches in my head. And um, so they, they, you know, stitched me up. If it was an insurance case, it was $1,500. But because I didn't have, in, I had travel insurance, but I just said to them, no, I have no insurance. How much will that be? $240. Mm. So obviously, you know, they don't want to go through the insurance system. So probably he sees you as, well, there's, there's, it's easy, you know, for them because of that system. Well, I know it costs American women a whole heap more. Yeah. 
and and their insurance companies a whole heap more. So Dr. Veronicus is incredibly generous in the way that he deals with overseas women. So is he on your website? Will people be able to, like, we'll put your website up on the show notes, um, but will we, will the women be able, women and men, no, get all this information um, from your website? We can't actually advertise doctors, but it is on my blog, so I will definitely send you the link to that. Wonderful. And I'll make sure that all goes on the show notes because I think it's really important when people listen to this and they hear this, they'll either be themselves concerned or they'll know of somebody else that's they're, they're seeing this same thing. But what gets me is how many women are sent to the psychologist. That just really annoys me. Yeah. Because it, it's all in our heads. I tell you that just that just mm. oh that infuriates. I can't even I can't even understand how someone could look you in the eye and actually say that. Well, try being a psychotherapist for over twenty years, and then somebody saying it to you. And an intelligent woman, obviously, Justine. Like <laughs> you are just you know what you're saying, and you're articulate, and you're amazing, and you obvi- you know that oh, I would be mm-hmm. I would send them. Yeah, <laughs> you need to take just Cindy like, with you. there's a bit of a long list for slapping at the moment ladies (laughs) get behind me first (laughs) so justine tell us what is there anything you would love for this this listening audience to hear what is what is your reason and behind this apart from obviously trying to get answers and to be healed what is what is the ultimate outcome do you think that would be ideal Look, I think that GPs need to understand this because women present to their GPs more than they do anywhere else. And if there's GPs listening, please do your research. Please don't deny women. Please keep looking. Please look for previous surgeries they had, any medical devices they may have had, any drugs they may have had, because there is always a link to this. It's just a question of, you know, every time I go into meetings at quite high levels, the the people that that interest me and that I engage with are the ones who are still questioning. Why did this happen? How did this happen? How is that related to this? Why is it polypropylene? What can we do? So for the community to understand that this problem is affecting many, many families and to offer support because most of our women, even their partners, their families, despite all of the small amount of media attention, but despite the Senate inquiry, despite the class action, you know, because it's in our pelvis, women don't want to talk about it. There's still a lot of shame around that. I went and had this operation, therefore it's my fault I'm in this situation. And it's absolutely not. If I could dispel that myth, I would be a happy woman. And for people to support people in this situation, you know, their health might be okay now, but it might be in the toilet in 10 years. They might be okay now, but watch them, help them, acknowledge that mesh injury is a problem acknowledge that they have been let down severely, betrayed and, and totally abandoned by a system that has been set up to fail them. And I think that is the damaging message that we have all received. And, and the awful thing about it and the thing that I keep talking to health consumers um, around the country about is this medical device failed me, the system failed me, and guess what? I'm the one who has to sort this out. How does that make any sense whatsoever? Yeah, I agree with you. You're the one that has to sort it out and so does the mother that has um, issues with their children and, and because of the drugs and so are the ones that have been, um, you know, been given a prescription for painkillers and now addicted and it's mm. just horrendous and I am so thankful to you Justine, that you are bringing this to the light and not just for mesh. And I know that that's your specialty and that's where you are. But I think what this does in this podcast is it brings to light, question, ask, don't take your doctors or your surgeons, um, you know, just read up on it. Look at the white insert in that drug, in that vaccine, in that mesh, in that check out, you know, what's happening out there. Don't, if I had seen what was in that package, yeah. it looks like a Victorian torture device, something out of the Tower of Bloom in London. Oh. I would never have put that in my body. 
there is no question. So that's another really good take home is have a look, ask them, what are you putting in me? What is this? Where's it going? How do I get it out? There's all those lessons to be learned. Is that in images? If I um, put in Google images, will I see one of those? Right. And we'll make sure that that goes on the show notes as well so people see it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And and put a trigger warning because for most of us, I had to sit in a meeting with a a box halfway across a table and the vibration from that device made me feel ill. It triggered all my PTSD. It triggered everything for me. I had to have it put the other side of the other side of the room because I couldn't be near it. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Cindy. I think for goodness sake, this is just one more very bleedingly obvious reason why people need to take responsibility for their own health and well-being, and to stop thinking that other people know better. Do the research, do the investigation, find out if it's for you, if it's not for you, and make an informed decision. Don't just trust. Mm, definitely. Can I ask, we've talked a lot about women. Are men just as likely to be affected by this with their hernia operations and things? Are they getting as sick or what are some of the things happening to the men out there? Well, they are. You know, guys getting implanted with hernia mesh and, you know, going back to work, you know, after two weeks or three weeks. And and a lot of the men that I talk to have physical jobs, excuse me, and um, they're finding that, that, you know, because this thing becomes concrete, because it's in an area of the body that should be mobile, you know, they're, they're causing all kinds of damage to themselves. There's just as many men out there hurting as there are us in transvaginal mesh, I believe, if not more. And, you know, they're experiencing the same problems, erectile dysfunction, um, pain, chronic illnesses, systemic illnesses. So, yes, you know, and, and of course, you know, what I'm hoping is that these men will start stepping up and speaking out because, of course, we know that the male voice, you know, in anything that needs lobbying is always, you know, the voice that's heard. So, you know, we're hoping that the hernia boys will come behind us, have the same pathway, follow the same pathway and start making a noise. And I do believe that's beginning to happen now. I think think our takeaways would probably all be the same. And that's what you said, Karen. Just question, take responsibility. Don't, you know, like... Don't take anything for granted. I will never take anything for granted ever again in my life after this situation and especially not in my day. Mm, mm. And in the words of Hannah Gadsby and her wonderful Nanette, there is nothing stronger than a broken woman who has rebuilt herself. So watch oh, out. Watch out. Yeah. <laughs> They're coming for you. I think that would be my takeaway from this yeah. is that there is so there seems to be so many things that do go wrong. In, in the medical world and the food world and the health worlds and everything. And there just seems to be, unfortunately, people are chosen, for want of a better word, or they're the, the victims of this. And, they, you know, the, the learning from this is that, like Karen took one for the team being blown up in Bali, I, I'm sorry to say it, Justine, but it seems to be that you've had to take one on behalf of humanity for for what's going on in the in the medical world around just using some sort of polypropylene implant that people seem to think is okay without all the proper testing. So I guess my takeaway on this is that there is always things that shock and hurt and, and do wrong by people. And I guess the takeaway is, is interviewing someone like yourself is realising that they messed with the wrong woman is, is what I'd like to say. <laughs> that, I'll take that. I'll yeah. <laughs> and we need, you know, it's, it's inspiring. It's, it's so dis- devastating for Cindy, Karen and I to hear this. And we are all deeply upset about this. And, and that's why we wanted to share this information. But we're also incredibly honoured to be in your presence, mm-hmm. to have you share your knowledge and your 
but and it sounds like you still have a beautiful heart you're not bitter and twisted and I just I really want to admire and honor you for that because I can't imagine what you've been through and that's my takeaway is that beyond the devastation and destruction of what can occur in people's lives there is still hope and there are people like yourself that will lead from the front and give other women and men hope too so thank you Thanks, Kim. Those are really lovely words. I'm, I'm grateful and, and very honoured. Thank you. No, you'd absolutely deserve it. We are super keen to um, make sure that everybody knows how to contact you, um, Justine. So, yep. Well, your... the, the website is www.meshinjuredaustralia.org dot au and from there we can recommend anything there's a 1-800 number 1-800-637-433 that's 1-800 meshed if you need to talk to someone urgently about this and and find out if perhaps you know you are mesh injured and there are some trained professionals on the phone that will do that and we have you know facebook support groups the australian mesh injured support group and um, mark who was on the project he has hernia mesh australia and we work very closely together. So that there is support out there. You are not alone. And there is a way through this. And your blog? What's your blog? Um, Mesh Journey to Recovery on Facebook. Okay, great. Justine Watson. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's wonderful. I well, we'll I, make sure. oh, sorry, I just, I think, I don't think anybody's out there that's not affected. Because I... We talked about Karen, we, what, you're, what you've been through, Justine, and, and Kim's lost a family member to a psychotic drug that she committed suicide. Mm, and I lost eight family members to AIDS as a result of Bayer not withdrawing um, mm. serum um, or, or factor eight for my hemophiliac family. Mm. So, you know... It's just, why aren't people waking? I'm sorry, but I'm, mm. I can't stop here. I, why are we not waking up to this? Mm. Mm. It's like one thing after the other. I think it's the process of denial. The human brain can only take so much. And if, like I said earlier, if we realise that the Commission and the TGA are not government funded and are funded through their you know, registrations, et cetera, yeah. that there is no watchdog. There is no federal thing working to keep everybody honest. You know, there are no independent people. There are no independent studies, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's a complete mess of, of how the structure is. And, and to actually be honest with that, to look at it in the eye and go, oh, my goodness, that is a terrible mess with terrible holes and problems and pitfalls. Denial is a wonderful thing. It keeps us safe. It makes us feel like the silly orange man over the seas who's got the power to press the big button. If we don't think about that, then it keeps us safe. If we stay in our denial, then we don't have to face the kind of things that we women have faced. And then you don't have to wake up. So being asleep is far superior for a lot of people than actually waking up and going, hold on a minute here, there's atrocities left, right and centre, but what do I need to do? What can I change in myself to contribute to a better society? Yes, yeah, they're removing things like certain mental health services, natural therapies and all sorts of things from medical rebates and things, yet they're the things that we could do with the most going through some of these horrific things. I don't quite get that either. No. And it's great that you three women are go-getters and putting this stuff out there and getting behind it and getting the word out there. So thank you so much for raising awareness and for the jobs that you do. It's really, really important. Thank you, Justin. Justine, I just think you're just um, an amazing woman and I, I'm looking forward to seeing what you do. Thanks, Cindy. Mm. Absolutely, me too. Me Thanks, too. Karen. Go get him. Yeah, we are right beside you, right behind you, and all around you. Go get I'm, them. I'm coming for them. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, they will not want to mesh with you. <laughs> oh, Kimmy, yay. Nice, Kimmy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
I'm trying to make light of something oh, that's very no. heavy. I do like that though. They don't want to mesh with you. Yeah. That is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. It could be a byline. It could be a really good byline for you, Justine. Don't, don't mesh with me, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Awesome. Well, our listeners, this has been an amazing podcast. Mm. If you or somebody that you know um, relates to this podcast and everything or anything that Justine has highlighted, make sure that you go and check out her website and get yourself informed and start taking action and, you know, follow in Justine's footsteps in the context of do not stop until you get the answer you need that brings relief. We don't have to tolerate suffering not for five seconds and certainly not at the hands of ignorance. So, Justine, thank you for being a part of today's show. You're an incredible woman. woman. We love you. We're behind you. Go get them. And everybody that's listening to this podcast, if you've got any questions or any comments about today's show, head on over to allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. You can also head on over to allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. So people, my friends, go ahead and join us here next week on Up For A Chat when you get to become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. And let's do it together, hey? We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.